0: I probably don't need to tell you this, but we as individuals and as a society are more stressed than we have ever been before. And while dealing with the stress alone is bad enough, living in a constant state of stress has serious long-term effects on our overall health. Stressful lifestyles combined with inadequate diets can deplete an essential neurotransmitter in our brain called serotonin, which is linked with healthy mood and sleep cycle regulation, two factors that help combat the stress in our lives. Essentially this means that being stressed actually makes it physiologically harder to deal with stress. Talk about a vicious cycle. Luckily, there's a solution to the problem. 5-HTP, or 5-hydroxytryptophan, is an amino acid that plays an important role in the production of serotonin. 5-HTP is a direct precursor to serotonin and readily crosses the blood-brain barrier, allowing for a natural increase in serotonin synthesis by our central nervous system. When we increase our serotonin, we're able to promote a more balanced and positive mood and naturally combat stress more effectively, preventing the vicious cycle from spiraling further and causing more long-term damage to our health. That's why I recommend 5-HTP for anybody looking to get control of today's stress and support that mood. In short, it's wonderful for anxiety, depression, and sleep. If you're already on medications for your mood, you can likely still take 5-HTP, but please consult with your personal medical authority. Use code MOOD for 10% off at yourlongevityblueprint.com.
1: Everybody needs a multivitamin. Everybody needs omega-3, probiotic, and vitamin D.
0: Welcome to the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. Today, you get to hear from Dr. Hannah Anderson and Dr. Callagene Clean. This is part one of a two-part series. Today, we'll discuss female anatomy, pros and cons of birth control, how important informed consent is, and how to support women who choose to take birth control. Next week in part two, we'll continue the discussion on how we can support these women, what non-hormone birth control options are best, and share non-toxic feminine care products, and lastly, how to detect female hormone imbalances. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. Today, I have two guests, Dr. Hannah Anderson and Dr. Kala-Jean Clean, who are chiropractors at Back in Line Family Chiropractic in Hiawatha, Iowa. Dr. Anderson specializes in pediatric and maternal health with trainings including a CACCP from the International Chiropractic Pediatric Association, Neuroemotional Technique, and Mercier Therapy. In addition to Dr. Clean's many chiropractic and myofascial trainings, she has a diplomat from the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine both doctors passionately guide patients from a holistic perspective, whether it's through pain or wellness planning. Welcome to the show, Dr. Anderson and Dr. Clean. Thanks so much for having us, Steph. Hi, Steph. Thanks for having us. For those subscribers, uh, you may recognize Dr. Clean's name. She actually wrote the forward on my book, Your Longevity Blueprint, and was one of my very first guests over 100, <laughs> probably over like 120, 30 shows ago. I think it was episode number two. Yeah. <laughs> so I highly encourage you go back and listen to that episode if you have not yet. But- on to today. First, I would like to hear from both of you kind of the story behind the creation of your Girl Talk events and how you became so passionate about advocating for such discussion. So, through this conversation, I'll just let you guys take it away. Each answer,
2: we'll see how this goes. Like she said, I specialize in pediatrics and women's health, which leads me to see a lot of women in practice whose lifelong health has been dominated by this idea really that their body is inherently faulty or trying to trick them. And so they're often come in with these ideas that I feel like start a lot during puberty where like acne and painful periods get blamed on fluctuating hormones because they don't necessarily have the resources to get to the root cause of those issues. And like any parent, myself included, parents don't want to watch their children struggle and the parents then find a doctor who thinks giving hormonal birth control will fix it, you know, or just do something if, because if it's the only thing they know how to do and unbeknownst to them, the doctor prescribing that birth control often might not know how to get them off of it later. Like there's no exit plan. They never initially told them like the pros, cons, and side effects of it. And they didn't offer any support while they were on it, which would all be great things to um, have a plan for. So then they wind up in our office either months or years later, because they don't like where things are at. And they're like, at this point, I'll try anything, even that weird chiropractor my friends go to. (laughs) So then they end up with us because they feel like they've kind of hit the end of the line somewhere else. And yeah, I kind of feel like it's that story repeated a bunch, plus the fact that I have two daughters and I genuinely don't want that to be the only option for them when things get frustrating with their bodies around that time. And I want them and all their friends to know that they were perfectly designed and are not faulty in the least, and that there's a different way to care for women's bodies. And they might not listen to me, but I'm not going to say nothing. It's going to be there Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that maybe they can go back to it when they are ready to hear it. Yeah, that's the short and sweet of it is we've just seen a pattern over and over stemming from a similar issue and i'm sure cj has her own walk but that's kind of i think at the root of mine very well said yeah cj what do you think
1: yeah so it was a couple of years ago when i came to hannah and i said and it was probably on. i'm like hey i need you to adjust me my adrenals are hijacked and you know we're talking and i'm like hey if i see another 12 year old girl that comes in as a patient that had one or two really bad periods and the next solution was to go right on birth control I feel like I'm repeating the same conversation over and over again. I'm like, I think we need to talk about this like on stage and invite mothers, daughters, aunts, like really just have this really incredible conversation about how cool our body is and our physiology is. And I think even the whole journey, like once I became pregnant and becoming a mother, you know, that was really transformational. But even after chiropractic school and all the schooling I had heard, I still didn't really understand the cycles. And so Hannah and I just started having more and more conversations and then we wanted to get nerdy with it, but we wanted to, you know, empower our daughters to have autonomy of their body, but to have autonomy you have to understand it. And there's so much societal of, you know, worry that we're going to hypersexualize our kids if we talk too much about it or introduce it at inappropriate times. But then there's also like the swing of, but where are they going to find out about it if it's you know the internet (laughs) or some you know some just misinformation? And so it's really just a really fun event that women come to. It's invigorating dialogue, and you know I had from the first girl talk that we had, I had girlfriends that approached me after, and they're like, "I'm 45 years old and have you know four kids, and I learned more about my vagina than I've ever been taught my whole life." (laughs) And so I think. That makes it you know so fun but again it's just this dialogue about the uniqueness of your hormone and your body's journey compared to mine compared to our daughters and so on but just having great conversation together makes it really fun for me agreed i remember that i think it was the first event you guys had i remember hannah specifically you
0: talking about just like the shame almost with you know women talking about their female parts and anatomy and how we shouldn't have that shame And I think maybe even you had everyone say vagina and say some of these things and like people were laughing, but that's really important. And so let's kind of maybe go to that for a second. Like, let's talk about the importance of learning female anatomy, how important that is for women's health.
2: Yeah. I mean, it is wild because even so... Part of my background is that I taught college anatomy and physiology. Like I grew up in, the, as soon as I was in the cadaver lab in undergrad, I was like, this is my space, which like 0.001% of people I think on the planet would say that, but I was like, this is my home. I, this is my language. I get it. And so I, TA'd the whole time I was in grad school and then I taught college anatomy and physiology. And so when we do the event, the first half of the event is I take, walk everyone through like, here's what the true names of all of the female anatomy parts are. And even some of them, like there are like the Latin word, uh, pudendum is what we would now call the vulva, but like pudendum in Latin means shameful. So Mm. like at some point yeah. right I'm guessing it was like a big group of men were like sitting around the table and trying to decide what to name female anatomy and they were just like that that's all shameful you know <laughs> so that's kind of a wild one to start with but there's so many important reasons but a big one for me is just it provides respect for what you're talking about so you know if you give it a jokey name then it becomes a joke and it's also a safety thing like if your kids don't know what their body parts are called if something god forbid would happen to them they can't give you an accurate description you know of what's mm-hmm. going on if they don't think it's okay to tell you about it but yeah also just that idea of like i mean like i said i have two two girls they are currently 5 and 2 and if You know, if we tell them something and we laugh about it, like then they think it's funny, (laughs) you know, it's that's like why jokes catch on with kids is if they get one laugh out of it, then they will do it over and over again. So you do have to play that straight face, even if you're uncomfortable. And we talk about that the event too is just if you have if you're uncomfortable saying some of these things out loud, you need to figure out why you are uncomfortable as the parent or as the adult or as the teacher. Is there something in your background or how you were raised? And people will get embarrassed and they will struggle with this part. And I sometimes they think it's because they're being a bad parent or something like that. And I truly think everyone is doing the best they can with the tools that they have right now. Right. So like my, my parents did the best they could with what they learned and how they were raised. And I'm just doing the best with what I know and how I was raised. And so it's not that everybody isn't doing their best. It's just, we're trying to kind of improve every time. And it Mm -hmm. just wasn't always out in the open. So yeah. Also, sometimes I go through the anatomy and people are like, oh, I didn't know that was the right word for that. So even as adult females, it's not like they've gone through and double-checked it all and all that stuff.
0: (laughs) You've probably heard a lot about fish oil. It's one of the most common supplements available after all. But have you wondered if you should be taking it and why you might want to think about it? The simple answer is yes. If you don't have access to fresh fish several times per week, you can likely benefit from supplementation and may even need to. I test many of my patients' fatty acid levels and have found that the overwhelming majority of my patients are low in omega-3s. Omega-3 fatty acids are essential cornerstones of human nutrition. They are deemed essential because we need them for proper health, much like certain vitamins and minerals, but, unfortunately, we can't produce them on our own. As a result, our only option is to consume these fats either through our diet or through supplementation. Omega-3 fatty acids are known to benefit cardiovascular health, support healthy brain function and cognition, and have been proven to maintain a healthy inflammatory response. For all these reasons, achieving the proper balance of omega-3s is an important health strategy, one for which most people require supplementation. Simplified, fish oil can help improve your cholesterol, glucose, help your memory, reduce pain, even headaches and menstrual cramps. I typically start my patients with 1 to 2 grams or 1000 to 2000 milligrams per day of combined eicosapentaenoic acid, which is EPA, and docosahexaenoic acid, which is DHA daily. Our Your Longevity Blueprint Omegas are stabilized in vitamin E oil, and rosemary extract is used to ensure maximum purity and freshness. This exclusive fish oil is purified, vacuum distilled, and independently tested to ensure heavy metals, pesticides, and polychlorinated biphenyls are removed to undetectable levels. Plus, our fish oil has the shortest sea-to-shelf time, meaning from fish to bottle or capsule, of only 3 to 6 months, as compared to the industry average of 18 to 36 months. Seriously, that means most of the fish oil you buy over-the-counter is old, oxidized, rancid, and not helpful. That fish oil purchased over-the-counter could be three years old already before you ingest it. Yuck. With over 10,000 published studies in the last three decades, EPA and DHA from fish oil are among the most researched natural ingredients available and have a long history of safety and efficacy. Check out more product information on our website, yourlongevityblueprint.com, and use code omega-3s for 10% off. Now let's get back to the show. CJ, what do you think? You want to add anything to that? How important knowing our female anatomy is?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, knowing it, but even like connecting to it. And and we'll get into this as we talk more about birth control, but just really connecting with every part of our body, you know, from breath work, you know, so important to diet and nutrition. But really, if we understand that our harmony and throughout our cycle, women have a 28 day-ish cycle where men have a 24 hour-ish cycle. Mm -hmm. And so I was always raised, and and again, to reiterate what Hannah was saying, I was raised with um, my parents doing the best that they knew with what they had. And a lot of times I was taught I had two brothers and I've learned a lot from being a sister with an older brother and a younger brother, but I was always taught, and I'm grateful for this as well, but I was taught anything a boy can do, you can do too. And I think that's been helpful for a lot of parts of my life of just being able to um, be resilient and strong through it. However, you know, kind of where I'm at now in life is just because I can do everything a man can do doesn't mean I should. Mm. If we understand the physiology and the harmony of our cycles and that, you know, when I look back into high school and even some maybe uh, knee injuries and stuff like that, I can't help but wonder. Did that happen maybe when I was on the pill or did it happen during various stages through my body? Like maybe I was having my period and I pushed it too hard at cross country, wasn't getting enough risk. And that put me at vulnerability. So knowing the anatomy, but also taking it even dirtier, just the physiology that, you know, the first half of our cycle compared to the second half of our cycle are different. And if we can teach each other and our daughters, they might be able to do better and listen to the intuition of their body and where they're at. Awesome. Yeah. Let's go to
0: birth control. So that's, that's, I think maybe the blunt of this conversation where that's going to go. So I want to know kind of what you both see as pros and cons of birth control. And we can get into informed consent maybe after this or the lack of informed consent, I should say. But let's first talk about what like pros and cons you see of birth control are.
2: I think the major pro coming from a super type A person, probably to Steph as another super type A person, <laughs> um, right? is just that idea of like knowing exactly which day things are going to happen. And I do genuinely think that's why a lot of people rely on it is because it's then a part of their brain they think that they get to shut off is they're like oh that is handled by me doing you know sure. simply taking a pill every day and as long as I can remember that I don't have to think about any of that and you can kind of like wall that off which isn't really how it works but in theory I can see how that is really appealing and if you don't know the side effects that sounds great for me personally like I genuinely didn't want to have a child while I was in grad school so I went to my day of graduation and counted back nine months <laughs> and went off birth control like that day, just because I wanted to make it through all the way. So obviously sure. that part, and then I don't necessarily know if it's helpful, but I do think it is desired as a pro for it to um, like be an answer to these hormonal questions. I just don't necessarily think it's like the true answer. CJ, am I missing anything as far as pros? Oh, I think it's just that freedom of
1: control. -hmm. Is is you know so much of it, but I think now with birth control, from if I have a son and a daughter, and my daughter has acne, and I take her to the doctor right out the bat, they're going to say, oh, well, let's put you on birth control. But if I take my son with acne, they're going to give him an acne medication, Mm -hmm. you know. Or if my daughter has headaches, they're going to give her birth control, but my son is going to maybe get something else. And so, birth control, we often forget, yeah, it's to control pregnancy which is usually the idea and that was the intention behind it. But now what we're seeing is that birth control is given for so many different things from PMS to PMDD to P- polycystic mm-hmm. ovarian to all these other different things. And so one, so much of the control, I understand that I have a bigger concern too with birth control it's being prescribed for things other than preventing pregnancy and it's only in the female population.
0: I would agree. I, you guys answered that well, ladies, I should say. I do think for some, for some women, Even myself, I had very heavy cycles, didn't know I had endometriosis at a young age. I didn't take birth control, but it was certainly recommended. And for some people, it does alleviate pain. It does limit heavy Mm -hmm. bleeding, right? It's a short-term Band-Aid solution. It's not something, I mean, it's not getting to the root cause of the problem, but for some women, you know, for a short period of time, it alleviates some of their symptoms. So I guess I could see how that's somewhat of a, a pro there. But let's get into more cons. And I think that can kind of overlap into the next part of the question, which is kind of how thorough you think the average birth control prescriber is with informed consent. I mean, I can tell you when I was young and was recommended birth control, they didn't tell me anything, any side effects, any nutrient depletions that could occur as a result of that. It was just offered to me. And my mother was absolutely furious when I told her that. And thankfully, I had you know, a mother who was advocating for me back then and took me to a chiropractor who recommended herbs for my periods. And, you know, I was Mm -hmm. very blessed to be in the situation I was in. I think I was definitely in the minority, especially back then, but let's, let's talk about informed consent and then also kind of some of the cons of birth control, long-term use.
1: Yeah. And I guess if you don't mind, before we talk about that, do, I think it's important yeah. to explain maybe how birth control works. Go for it. Right. Yeah. So there's several different types of birth control from the IUDs to the NuvaRing to the implant devices. I think it's called implantin. And then there's the oral birth control. And so there's, there's various degrees of it, but essentially the mechanism of interaction and how it works in our body is that it's extremely high doses of synthetic hormones so now you can have estrogen only birth controls or you can have combo pills that have progesterone and estrogen and then you can have like the mini pill which is just progesterone only and they all have various degrees of of differences. And
0: I have to correct you because I have to say it's progestin only. Thank you. It's not natural progesterone Yeah. just for the listeners. And we can differentiate that in a bit,
1: but yes, but you're correct with those, those three, the last being a progestin synthetic, yeah, only. Synthetics. Yeah. So think synthetics think, think that they're bad. They're not the exact same molecular structure that our body manufactures, but it's enough of a hijacking that it tells our brain to stop communicating with our breast tissue or uterus and our ovaries. And it says, just shut that down. And so it's this chemical alteration to our body and to our brain, which then kind of cascades some other, other issues down the line with all hormones. But when we have that high dose of synthetic, that also tells our breast tissue and uterine uterine lining and ovaries to stop making your own natural hormones. So for some people, we're really suppressing, suppressing hormones overall, but then really toxing the liver with high, high doses. And then Mm -hmm. two, Stephanie, I don't know if you have any good infographics that maybe you can include, but just what the cycle looks like of estrogen and progesterone throughout the 28 days Mm -hmm. um, that we can include, because you'll be able to see that days one through five, most of our hormones are very suppressed while we're bleeding. And -hmm. then there's the slow progression of the estrogen to rise. And then that big high spike tells the brain to release luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone, then that estrogen goes down and then the progesterone really dominates the second half of the cycle. And so when that's just a different single hormone cycle every single day or picture of our auto hormones look like when we're on that synthetic, it is just high doses the entire Mm -hmm. time. So we look very chemically different when we're put on birth controls.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, And I don't like that either. I think we were created to have these natural rhythms, right? And so then we just slam women full of this this dose many times for the oral pills, right? It's three weeks out of the month, and then they take nothing, the sugar pills, week one, and then back to just kind of you're slammed on those those higher synthetic doses, which prevent ovulation, which can, you know, and can prevent implantation and whatnot. So they prevent the, the pregnancy from happening. But some other
1: bad things can happen in the meantime Well and you said that too I don't mean to interrupt you but just to even highlight the suppresses ovulation so if we think about it what happens when women are on birth control for 14, 15 years and they have been suppressing ovulation and the traditional standard is what you know the primary care the prescribing physicians you know for this they're saying oh it takes three months for your body to rebalance and it's like, how is that possible that for 15 years of hormone suppression that we've been shutting our brain down to our, to our ovaries, that all of a sudden we think we're going to start ovulating three months after going off birth control. And then, you know, there's the argument, yeah. you know, I have several friends and family members that have been conceived <laughs> while on birth control. Mm-hmm. And so then I think people think like, oh, but it's not a problem. People get, you know, pregnant on birth control all the time. It's there's not all the time. It's- <laughs> exactly. exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 But no, I get that. I get that.
2: So to talk about the informed consent part, I think just to like outline what that's supposed to be is so in any healthcare profession, right, whether it's us adjusting someone as a chiropractor or you practicing how you do, we're supposed to go through to the best of our knowledge, the pros and cons of a certain treatment, then leave that open to our patient to say, yes, I'd like to do that. No, I do not want to do that. And that should happen, you know, whether it's us giving a supplement or, um, you know, a treatment, and that discussion should always be on the table. and if if the patient wants to walk away at that point, that's totally fine. That's in there that's the they're informed, and they can consent or not consent. And so what we struggle with oftentimes, I mean, in like you said, how you got offered a birth control prescription is very similar to how I did, where there was no pro or con. Like there, I was given no cons at all. (laughs) Um, Just basically told to take it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was like, here it is. And I, you know, um, there was no, like, even you might feel tired. You might, you know, this might happen. So when no cons are given, then that's not true informed consent. And I don't think it's a super ethical way to practice my personal opinion. So, That is a huge issue for me, especially now to the point where I think there are, you know, teenagers that will go to appointments by themselves. And I think a lot that probably upped a lot during like COVID stuff, right, where it was like, well, you can go in by yourself because we only allow one patient at a time or whatever. I'm sure that got increased a ton. And uh, while sometimes that is easier for parents, you know, like they're like, oh, they can finally drive themselves to doctor's appointments and that sort of thing. It's like, yeah, but they're also their teenage brain doesn't know to ask, like, could you please give me the pros and cons? And also I'm going to fully digest them in the five minutes that I'm sitting here, make an informed choice Mm -hmm. and, you know, commit to something that's not likely in my head. So, yeah, I do see that as an issue. They aren't being told, you know, there's a stroke risk or like Mm -hmm. me personally, like I do have a history of females having strokes on my maternal lineage. That was a huge red flag for me. I didn't know about it until I was already on it. And that was part of the reason I was like, well, I got to get off as soon as I humanly can, because that's a big deal to me. Part of why it's such a big issue for us is we think it is often given without true, true informed consent happening.
0: Yeah, kind of, kind of scary. A wide and complex variety of B vitamins are essential for the body to convert food into cellular energy. Unfortunately, we don't get as many as we need from our diets. Additionally, certain medications like metformin and birth control drugs can hinder our body's ability to get B vitamins from our diets. When this happens, we can become vitamin B deficient. This can be problematic as our bodies use these vitamins for a variety of biological processes. One of the key roles of B vitamins is to serve as prime cofactors for the Krebs cycle, the biochemical pathway responsible for maintaining energy production. When this suffers, we don't quite make the same energy we once had. Low B vitamins can lead to feelings of fatigue, weakness, low mood, headaches, and even PMS. Supplementing with B vitamins is a very easy way to introduce these essential vitamins back into our systems. But you want to avoid synthetic B vitamins like cyanocobalamin and folic acid that many bodies can't convert to the active forms and instead opt for methyl or hydroxylcobalamine options for B12 and methylfolate for B9. These are easier for your body to absorb and use, especially if you have MTHFR variants. We carry capsule and sublingual B vitamins named Methyl B Complex and Sublingual Methyl Bs on our website. Use code B vitamins for 10% off at yourlongevityblueprint.com. I think I want to go back to what you were saying, CJ, on there's just so many comments I want to like make here, on what you were saying the return to fertility is, which isn't important, you know, for a 19 year old, but some women who maybe do take birth control for 10 years, and then they find their significant other get married, want to have a a child, right? They probably aren't educated on that return to fertility could take a year or two years, right? They just kind of assume, like you're saying, they stop the pill and they can get pregnant when they want. And it's just not that easy. And I would also maybe even... Argue that it may be more difficult for them, for that individual, to get pregnant. Anyways, back to the root cause as far as why they were put on the birth control in the first place. They probably had some underlying hormone right issues right. for which they were now masking the issue with the birth control. So then, long term, their ability to get pregnant may actually be more
1: more challenging.
0: Unfortunately,
1: too. Sorry to interrupt, but back to you know the informed consent. So when we look at literature for what the pharmaceutical companies are giving providers for patient education. And there's some patient education material that says that birth control tricks your body into thinking it's pregnant, you know, and really kind of dumbs it down. And I really liked how Dr. Jolene Brighton said, the body isn't that stupid, right? You know, and it's this oversimplification of what it's doing, you know, to us, but really like that informed consent should be like a page long that says it's a known grade one carcinogen on average, one to 2000 girls die each year on birth control. So that's just death, which sounds awful. But you know, people think, oh, that that sounds like that could be rare, though. But that's not the statistic of well, then how many girls are injured? Because they had a stroke and have to relearn how to walk. (laughs) You know, and I don't mean to then over dramatize what could happen. But then two, one of the biggest things that I don't think is talked enough about is the mental health you know aspect of it one of the studies that we came across was a danish study that said girls put on birth control and they, there's a lot of talk about before the brain is fully developed because this is the rate high growth rate of brain and brain development and so when we're chemically altering with some of these hormone receptors so so many like our heart has estrogen receptors which makes the estrogen and the progestin so potentially dramatic to the heart because it could be pro, pro-inflammatory but we have all these hormone receptors throughout our entire body. And if we're suppressing that um, natural production, but then hijacking it with high doses of this synthetic, we are going to alter our brain chemistry. But this Danish study said that girls, if they were put on birth control around 15 to 19 years old, there was a 70% chance higher rate of depression. Um, so then it's kind of in that cascading drug yeah. that, okay, you went on the birth control. And then six months later, we have the depression. So now here's the antidepressant or here's the anti-anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was another study that said that patch in the vaginal rings um, uh, tripled the rate of depression. And then since 1975, there's been a 400 uh, increase, 400 percent increase um, breast cancer rates in women, which I don't think is just the birth control.
2: I think yeah. that's a lot of things that yeah. you've done. So on your podcast. Yeah. 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 Well, and I would say I see yeah. that clinically support the first statistic of. Birth control than antidepressants or anti anxieties. I see that clinically supported like almost to a T. If -hmm. I have someone, especially someone Mm -hmm. in their 20s that has been on birth control since they were a young teenager, they're almost always on two medications and it's rarely just a birth control. That is like that is slim pickings (laughs) to come through the door. So Mm -hmm. it's just, I mean, it is wild to see it read it and then watch it play out in real life well so many um patients girls and women
1: they don't even correlate that their birth control is a medication like in our intake forms um and people will come in for infertility or hormone issues and they don't even mark down that they're on birth control and so sometimes i'll be like oh wait so you're on birth control And they're like oh yeah and it wasn't even at the forefront of their mind that like, that is a medication. Mm-hmm. I see that a lot for IUDs too. Patients don't write yes. them down. I'm like, no, that, that, it is definitely releasing a
0: synthetic <laughs> yeah, medication in your body. Um, gosh, I want to comment on so much of this. I think it would be super interesting to actually for a listening graduate student to do some sort of you know study on mm-hmm. statistics for informed consent for birth control. Because I, I literally, I bet it's like less than 1% oh, is actually... Agreed thoroughly, you know, provided this informed consent. And I I actually think that's probably true for a lot of medications. I think that we here at our clinic, at least, we spend quite a bit of time going over pros and cons of the hormones we're prescribing. Um, But I would say, I think for statin medications, for blood pressure medications, and for reflux medications, I don't think, you know, proper informed consent is probably happening. But obviously, you know, today's discussion more pertains to birth control. I want to go back to the clotting that you said, Hannah, because I literally just before we started I'm recording, I grabbed this book off my shelf, which CJ you just mentioned, Beyond the Pill, by Dr. Jillian Brighton, who I'd love to have on the podcast here. And I literally just opened this up and the page that I had bookmarked was around um, just genetic risk factors for things like strokes. So I actually have this underlined um, here in reference to patients who are on oral birth control and also have the MTHFR genetic variant, they have huge increase. So, okay. So this is saying, again, I literally just opened to this. Let me read this real quick. So another study placed the threat of stroke in women. Okay. This is with factor five, taking oral contraceptives as high as 35% fold increase women with MTHFR 677 TT using oral contraceptives had a 5.4 fold increase risk of stroke. So whether you have like factor five clotting issues or MTHFR clotting issues, I guarantee your provider who's prescribing your birth control isn't asking about that or is not aware. is it checking. And
2: like, um, what a world if that was even yeah. screened for, yeah. like, what if that was required right. screening, screening before someone got prescribed, right? Like how big of a difference would just that make? There's just little, little big stuff like that that could change the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. The other big, um, um, this might lead us to like a, a different thing, but um, the other big thing for us is um one of the big cons is uh b-, b vitamin depletion for people who are on birth control which that probably leads to a multitude of other things um so but again personally like we get interested in stuff obviously that affects us personally but so when i i've been practicing for about 8 years um i when i started interning with Cala, i had just gotten off of the birth control and i was like i am so tired and she's kind of on a whim was like why don't you try a b complex i was like yeah great idea you know just i'm on it i'll kind of try anything at this point i'm a new graduate i'm like let's figure it out um i describe it to people like after two weeks i felt like i had coffee in my veins like i was so (laughs) i was so awake (laughs) and i mean i was also coming off of like four years of grad school where i studied constantly and didn't sleep but um But I, it was honestly that quick and two, I don't know if someone thinks like two weeks is a long time for a medication to kick in or a supplement, but like, it felt very fast to me and there was nothing else that had changed. And, um, that is a huge thing when we talk about like, how do you support someone, even if they do want to go Mm -hmm. on it? Right. Because if we have true informed consent, they know the drill. They're like, I still think it's worth it. They want to go on it. Well, then there's another aspect of like, how do we support them while they're on it so that their body doesn't unravel while they're using that product. And I think a B complex is a big way Mm -hmm. to do that in a high quality one, one that's methylated so that they can actually absorb it all. And again, talk about like little big things that would make a huge difference. That's another one in my book where it's like, that should, that should be like baseline stuff for a prescription. I totally agree. And I think that probably has something to do with the stats CJ
0: said, as far as Nine months later, you know, the risks of depression and anxiety you know, going up on birth control that probably is due in part to the B vitamin depletion. So absolutely, let's stay on that. I like that, let's stay on that topic. So what are some other non-traditional ways to support women who are on birth control?
2: I guess another one I would think of is just like being able to flush out Excess hormones, like making sure that you're detoxing. So, having mm-hmm. things in place like the sauna or the casserole packs that you do stuff, something like that, so that you know you are getting rid of the stuff you are not using but that's kind of the first one that comes to my mind cj do something else which
0: which starts with pooping i mean quite frankly you have to be to eliminate you have to not be constipated and a lot of these young girls they don't have the best diets they're not getting good fiber they're not you know hydrated they're not pooping they're not eliminating some of these more toxic and metabolites from these synthetic hormones so yes elimination detoxification is great starts with pooping which the castor oil packs can certainly help Mm -hmm. sorry to interrupt but yeah cj go ahead
1: Yeah, well, I think for me in an ideal world, before a girl goes on birth control, it's like, okay, it's almost like choose your own adventure. Are you going, (laughs) like, are you asymptomatic and you're only going on it because you're trying to prevent pregnancy? Or B, are you really symptomatic? And this is after you weighed the pros and cons of everything, this is still what makes the most sense for you, right? Because a lot of the times, you know, there is a large part of the population that they wanna do it because they wanna prevent pregnancy. So that's almost like, okay, well, you're asymptomatic. Let's do these tests before you go on, like a NutraVal, a complete blood count, the full thyroid with antibodies, because two, the ugly reality is that birth control can start that autoimmune cascade. It can start messing up the gut, changing the gut biome. And so it'd be really nice to get a good, healthy baseline or a preliminary test. Mm -hmm. And then even, you know, six months or 12 months on birth control and then get a retest and see how is their body on it um that Genova that Nutrival mm-hmm. just so we can kind of see so kind of like how Hannah was explaining so in order for especially for the birth control the oral birth controls to work they call it a micro a drug-induced micronutrient depletion so the body to absorb the birth control and for it to be effective if you will it's going to metabolize our B vitamins and so you can have like a car and that car might get you know 50 miles per gallon you put it on birth control. Now that car or your body's only getting 20 miles per gallon. So it's going to need more metabolic support. So Hannah specifically, she had been so depleted on her B vitamin stores and her B vitamin metabolism. So that's why she had so much more of that therapeutic benefit to replete where some people when Steph, I don't know, you probably see it too. You put them on something they're like, I don't feel any different. It's like, good, that's okay. But we're just trying to make you so that you never get deficient where you get symptoms. Right. Yep. But you know, if the patient's symptomatic, then there's still a little bit of preliminary that's like, well, let's make sure that your symptoms aren't because you're already up, Like you've got a messed up thyroid or you've got food sensitivity that you can't help get them more healthy from a holistic perspective in general. Um, but let's say that somebody's listening to this. They're like, okay, well, I'm on birth control. What do I need to do right now? I think back to the foundation. Everybody needs a multivitamin. Everybody needs omega-3 probiotic and yep. vitamin D if there's no such, if they, if access to testing is not realistic, Mm -hmm. that big foundation, and then there's always extra credit, right. That they can do Mm -hmm. on top of it, um, that you can get symptomatic wise, you know, if there's a acid reflux or if there's, um, you know, excess bloating, you can do digestive enzymes, magnesium, calcium, a whole lot of things. I didn't mean to make that hyper complex, but to support women, I always like that individualized approach. But again, blanket statement, the big foundation for.
0: Yep. I totally agree. And I'll, I'll also echo what you said as far as once you're on birth control, because it's depleting nutrients that can negatively impact thyroid function because you need the nutrients to make the thyroid hormone also. So you can end up with secondary you know, hypothyroidism from things like birth control pills. But I totally agree that kind of foundation, you need a multivitamin, definitely be complex as you were both saying. The birth control can impact your microbiome. So that's where kind of a probiotic would come in, which can help with regularity. Vitamin D is important. And then fish oil also can help thin the blood to mitigate the risk of stroke. <laughs> but right. fish oil
1: can, I mean, fish oil can help with a multitude of- And and all the mental health. A lot of the depression, a lot of the anxiety is high omega-3 can, and the vitamin D and the B vitamins. I mean, lack of B vitamins really has been known to see like here's the anxieties and here's the OCDs and ADDs and ADHDs because you don't have properly supported B vitamins.
0: And just to explain to the listeners, you require your B vitamins, specifically B6, to make things like your neurotransmitters, serotonin and dopamine and norepinephrine and epinephrine, right? Things to help your mood. So if you're on a medication like birth control, which depletes nutrients that help you make neurotransmitters, your mood can suffer as a result of that. Um, I want to just say a couple more things as far as what else, in my opinion, we could do for patients who are on birth control. So we certainly could also recommend liver support. So they could be doing something like a liver detox. They may, especially if they have history of cysts and fibroids, family history of breast cancer, sometimes taking DIM will help them clear out excess estrogens, eating more cruciferous vegetables, whatnot. But I think those are the main, the main core nutrients, right? That we could, could help these patients um, with who are taking birth control. what an awesome conversation. We should know our anatomy and our cycles and be provided with thorough informed consent on birth control options. I hope you stay with us for next week's episode where we continue our discussion on female hormone imbalances and safer non-toxic feminine care products. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes to books and products we've mentioned in this week's show. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I do read all the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, and for how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. This podcast is produced by Team Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, wellness is waiting.